Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the second week in October. Weather's getting a little bit cooler. I'm so thankful that there's good weather for the hike today for the youth. Excited to hear how that goes. Uh, and I also was not aware that there would be pizza. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right, they're teenagers. There's always pizza. <laughs> um, this morning before uh, we start the sermon, I just wanna take a moment to show my appreciation uh, for our technical team here at Morning Hour Chapel. Um, some of them you can see, some of them are, are nicely tucked away and hidden uh, in the dark recesses of the office back here. Um, but our tech team currently consists of uh, Dave and Chris in the booth back here. Um, Josh and Adam take turns uh, running the cameras for the live stream. And of course, Dana is back in her office uh, running everything from back there, running that live stream. And let me just say this team is good. This team manages all of the sound, they manage all of the slides coming from all over the place, and they manage uh, all the aspects of live streaming our service so that people can be blessed who aren't able to come and be with us in person. Uh, and uh, a, a real big shout out to Dave who has been uh, maintaining and upgrading our equipment as, as he finds some issues. Um, he's doing a really good job. And now, of course, uh, as we've seen over the past few weeks, the team even manages uh, the sausage-fingered pastor who sometimes presses the wrong button on the remote control and uh, decides to play the final song uh, in the middle of his sermon. Um, they got me a new remote. It's got different buttons. Um, the, the, the one button is far away from the other button, so hopefully I won't press it. Um, but I want you to know, and I especially want them to know how much I appreciate their tireless service each and every week. They are here every week uh, running things, and I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who uh, is part of our tech team. And if you're interested in becoming part of the tech team, maybe give these guys, you know, I don't know, a week off every couple of years. Um, see Dave. Uh, after the service today, he, uh, he can talk to you about what, what's involved in running sound, the slides, uh, even uh, the live stream if you're a little more tech savvy. Uh, you can uh, talk to Dana about the live stream. But this morning, we are um, continuing our sermon series titled, Blessed the Beatitudes. And we've spent the last few weeks uh, talking about the opening words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Um, Jesus speaks these words to tell us uh, what his disciples are supposed to do and what his disciples are supposed to be in this just few short verses, verses 3 to 12 in Matthew 5, before he launches into his full-blown sermon on the particulars of, of what being a disciple looks like, what it feels like. And he covers in that sermon all of these beatitudes. He talks more in depth about each of these things. And so far we've learned that Jesus' disciples are poor in spirit, they are mournful, they are meek, and they have a desperate hunger for righteousness. To be a follower of Jesus Christ we must be poor in spirit. We must understand this deep, desperate, and crucial need for the mercy and grace of God 
to save us from the death of sin and to bring us into eternal life. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, a person will mourn their sins. They will be sorry for sinning against God and they will mourn the sin of others. They will mourn and they will, they will take opportunities to share God's grace and God's mercy and the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Follower of Jesus Christ is going to be meek, and we talked about being meek, being, allowing God to be in control of all of our lives, all of our power. And of course, last week we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because we know that we rely on God's grace and mercy to forgive our sins. We know this. And we know that Jesus was sent to be the perfect sacrifice for that sin. And we should hunger and thirst after the things that Jesus has taught us if we call ourselves disciples of his. And all these attributes come with their own blessings. This is like the cool part of this section of scripture. Jesus blesses the people who are poor in spirit. They're going to inherit the kingdom of God. He blesses those who mourn for their sins and for the sins of others because God comforts us. And when we share the gospel, he comforts others. Those who are meek will inherit the earth. And we talked about how the earth is the new heaven and the new earth that's going to come on the last day after the old heaven and the old earth are no more. And those who hunger after righteousness and thirst after righteousness, they're going to be satisfied. They're going to be filled up with God. They're going to be filled up with righteousness. Now up to this point in this journey, in this, uh, this uh, section of the Beatitudes, these blessings have been spoken about our inward selves. They've been spoken about the things that we do kind of almost internally. Being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek. And if we are to be true Christians, we, we strive inwardly as we live these Beatitudes. But now Jesus is going to turn a corner. He's going to start talking about blessings that happen to people who make external actions towards showing people who Jesus is. And the next Beatitude is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And when a person finds themselves in a state of complete and total dependence on God for mercy and forgiveness, and when they put themselves under the total control of God in order to do his will, that person will necessarily begin to act differently toward other people. Not just toward God, not just toward their faith. They're going to start acting differently to their neighbors, to their friends, to their families, to their enemies. And Jesus says the first thing that's going to happen is that the disciple will show mercy on others. Now, there's a popular definition of mercy that's been traveling around churches for I don't know how many years. Um, but uh, that definition is mercy is not getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Now, 
For those of you who might not know, I teach、uh, business law at my high school, and、uh, we talk about、uh, criminal law. We talk about civil law before we get into the boring stuff, contracts, things like that. But we talk about what constitutes a crime,、um, how crimes are tried, and how criminals are punished if they're found guilty in a court of law. But we also talk about sometimes a person who knows that they're guilty, who is willing to confess their guilt in court, will simply say to the judge, "Yes, yes, I did it. Yes, I'm guilty." If you've ever watched a law show on TV or a movie about the law that has like courtroom scenes, you might be familiar with the guilty defendant、uh, doing something that they call throwing themselves on the mercy of the court. And what the defendant is saying here is that he knows or she knows that what they did is wrong. Yes, I committed a crime. I did something against somebody else. I did something against the state. I know it's a crime. I know I owe a debt for that crime. Usually, a debt of time in prison. And by throwing themselves on the mercy of the court, what they're asking the judge to do is to remove at least some of that debt. Maybe instead of twenty years in prison, maybe we can. Throw ourselves on the mercy of court and and only spend ten or five. Maybe we don't have to go to prison at all. Maybe we can pay our debt to society in some other way. And see, the thing is about this whole throwing yourself on the mercy of the court is that the defendant, the guilty party, understands that the judge. Holds all the power. The judge can decide. I'm going to give you the maximum sentence. Or that judge can say, you know what? I'm going to forgive some of that sentence. I'm going to show you mercy. And one of the things that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to be doing is showing. That same kind of mercy to others, because God has shown that mercy to us. When we stand before God, or we kneel before God, and we confess our sins, God is merciful. God takes away the punishment, the thing that we owe for that sin. Jesus says we ought to be do, willing to do the same thing for others. It's one of the primary things that Jesus preaches, and the Bible teaches is mercy. And sometimes I think we get a little mixed up. What is what is mercy? What is Jesus actually talking about? And the and the the courtroom thing is a is a good example, but it's not enough. It doesn't go far enough. See, soon after the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching right now in Matthew five to seven,、uh, Jesus talks with some Pharisees and some scribes. These guys who know the law, right? And they are really—I mean, it's all they do: study the law. Now, this is the law of Moses and the law of God, but this is 
the law that the Jews are supposed to follow. And he's there talking to them. And the Pharisees come up to his disciples, his followers, and, and, and ask a question. They want to know why Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Why does he do that? And this is Jesus' response. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. First thing Jesus is saying here is, Pharisees, you don't know everything. If you knew everything, you would have read in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that you study so much, that God has said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to be merciful to people. This comes directly from a passage in Hosea. And in Hosea, the, the phrasing is just slightly a little bit different. It says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. But if you look at the words in the Hebrew for steadfast love, one of the definitions that you'll find is mercy. Another definition of mercy that we find in Scripture, depending on where we're reading, is kindness. Just be kind to people. Sometimes it's called loving kindness, as if there's another kind. Prophet Micah writes in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Luke 6 shows us another of Jesus' sermons, sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, and we don't have a whole lot of time to go into all that, but this is another sermon that Jesus preaches. And here in Luke 6.36, Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You have experienced the mercy of God. He has forgiven you for everything. How can you not Show mercy to other people. This saying here, be merciful even as your father is merciful, is basically a rephrasing of what he's saying in the Beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Who they're going to obtain mercy from? The Father. That's what Jesus is talking about. And there's another place where Jesus talks about mercy. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus pronounces these seven woes on the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, the lawyers of the time. And he gets up and he starts saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, I got some bad news for you. You're not doing things right. And in one instance, in verse 23 of Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
You've become so completely engrossed in keeping your religion that you have neglected the spirit of God's law. You're so worried about the, the letter of the law that you've missed the meaning of the law. You tithe everything. Anybody ever grow uh, mint or dill or cumin? Pretty tiny little things, right? Not particularly, you know, great. I mean, dill's great if you're going to make pickles or, you know, put it in a salad or something. Mint, yeah, I like mint. It's okay. But it's these tiny little herbs. And the Pharisees quite literally would, they would harvest their, their, their herbs and they would count them out. You ever try to count out herbs? They take, a, it takes a long time. And they're there. There's an, one for God and nine for me. One for God and nine for me. It takes forever. And they're so focused on that that they don't even have time to think about what the spirit of that law is, let alone any other law. Jesus says, you've missed the point. I'm not asking you to tithe on your basil. I'm asking you to give mercy to other people. I'm asking you to show justice to other people. I'm asking you to be faithful to the spirit of the law of God. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. How many times do we hear of Christians and how many times are we those Christians that we're so focused on looking like religious people we're so focused on making sure everybody knows we're a Christian that we completely ignore acting like Christians. We completely ignore justice and mercy and faithfulness. I've told you the story before. Uh, when I first became a pastor, I had this old guy in the church. He asked me out to lunch, and I thought that was cool. I'm like, oh man, this is great. Like people are already inviting me out to lunch. They want to get to know me. They want to, you know, whatever. And 10 minutes into lunch, the man sits across from me and he flat out tells me, we cannot allow homosexuals in the church. And I thought, I, really, I honestly, I thought that I had misheard him. He said, no, we cannot allow homosexuals to attend the church. Because apparently, homosexuals must find mercy and justice and kindness somewhere else. Church isn't going to give it to them, apparently, according to this one person. And not really according to this one person. I'm sure that you have heard time and time again how people who live a homosexual lifestyle or who are struggling with homosexuality have been told, you can't come to this church. Get out. We have no mercy and kindness and justice for you here. I've heard of stories of teenage girls 
not only being turned out of their churches, being turned out of their homes because they got pregnant. Apparently these girls, the babies these girls will bear, they don't rate justice and mercy and kindness. They got to find that somewhere else. And you know what? I'm guilty. I am guilty of refusing to show kindness and mercy. My nephew, when he was alive, he would come to my mother's house and he would take money to go buy drugs. Or worse, at least in my opinion, worse, he would go and tell some lie to my mother and have her willingly give him money that he would then take and buy drugs with. I did not show kindness or mercy to my nephew. I showed disdain. I showed judgment. I showed hatred. Because in my mind, he was hurting my mom. She didn't have a lot of money to begin with. And I felt like he was doing her wrong. I didn't forgive him. But you know what the really weird thing was? My mother did. Every single time. Every time he would come home, my mother would say, it's okay. I understand. I forgive you. Not me. And of course, now there's no way to go back and show forgiveness or mercy or kindness to my nephew. Several years ago, my nephew stepped off a curb into oncoming traffic by accident and was killed by a car. Whether we realize it or not, we wield tremendous power. We wield tremendous power over people, particularly people who have wronged us or who have wronged someone close to us like my nephew had done with my mother. We have the power to exact justice on this person. We do. God gives us that power. And even if he doesn't give us that power, we take it for ourselves. When a spouse is found cheating, the wrong spouse has the power to do any number of things. They can file for divorce. They can get revenge by cheating themselves. Or they could do worse, cause physical harm to the person who's been cheating. When my nephew is discovered stealing money from his uh, grandmother's purse, defeat a drug habit. My mother had the power to kick him out of the house and never let him come back. She even had the power to call the police and have him arrested and jailed for stealing from her. And if we're being completely honest with each other, most of the time, we would sit there and we would say, yeah, they deserve that. 
That cheater deserves divorce. That cheater deserves to be cheated on. That drug addict deserves to go to jail. That's how we think. And it's a human thought. But every one of us wields power of judgment over people every day. Sometimes dozens of times a day. Sometimes hundreds of times a day. And we don't even realize it. We pass judgment on people for the most inane things. A coworker steals my idea and gets a promotion. I have been wronged. My student cusses me out because I gave him an F and starts throwing things all over the room because he feels that he has been wronged. Maybe a little closer to home, the server at the restaurant who doesn't get our order just right or doesn't get it out to us fast enough or just has a bad attitude. Man, we want to exact some justice there, don't we? They're not getting a tip. Let me speak to the manager. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but think about it. How many times have you ever asked to speak to a manager because you felt you were being wronged in a retail place, in a restaurant, something like that? Don't, don't raise your hands. I don't need to know. How about the bonehead that cuts us off in traffic? That's really close to home. Now, I will ask you, how many people have ever been caught off, caught, cut off in traffic? And how many of you have reacted in a way that Jesus would not be proud of? <laughs> Me. And if you don't put your hand up, I'm going to question your honesty a little bit. <laughs> but in all of these cases, in all of these inane things, in all of these bigger things, we have the power to exact justice. And some people might call it vengeance. We have the power to be vengeful. But guess what? We also have the power to show mercy. To not give someone something we think they deserve for wronging us. And if you are sitting here this morning, if you are watching, if you are listening, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus tells you to be merciful. And he also blesses you for it. So instead of flipping off the bonehead who cut me off in traffic, or and I'm sure nobody in this room has ever done this, try to swing around and then try to cut them off. <laughs> Wendy knows I would never do that. <laughs> Maybe we stop just for a second. Maybe we think about the very real possibility that this person is late for work because they were getting a child onto a school bus that was late. Or their child woke up late and they had to drive this child to school. And this is the third time this month this has happened. They've been threatened with firing if they're late again to work. And guess what? When that happens, they're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about traffic. They're not thinking about anything. But I got to get to work or I'm going to get fired. And if we were in the same situation, wouldn't we want a little mercy? 
instead of asking to see the manager at the restaurant or leaving a poor tip for the poor server who doesn't get it just right or has a bad attitude. Maybe we can stop and think just for a minute about how hard that job is. Maybe we can come down off of our high horses and stop saying things like, how hard is it to get an order right? Especially if we decide to look around at this restaurant and see that she's actually taking like 50 orders. And guess what? Most of the time, if an order is wrong, it's the kitchen. It's not the server. Or maybe we can think about how this server has been on their feet for 11 hours today. And they missed their kid because they needed to pull a double so that they could pay for groceries. And maybe, just maybe, we can even think, well, after all, I'm here because I'm lazy and don't want to cook. If we were in the same situation, wouldn't we want mercy? Instead of me giving my student detention for her eighth time this school year for cussing me out, maybe I can pause and remember that most children act out because of something in their life that's not going well. Maybe something at home. Maybe they're being bullied in school. Just maybe I could take an extra three minutes and talk to that student and say, what's going on? Instead of kicking my nephew out of the house, my mother over and over again tried to convince him to get treatment, tried to convince him to go to rehab, tried to convince him to clean up, but never ever once did she say, you can never come back. In fact, her house was the only safe place he knew. Her house was the only safe place where he knew he could come in, not be judged by her, and sleep off whatever it was that was going on. And I saw him one time sleep for two days straight. Because my mother showed mercy. All of these things, all of these alternatives, all of these thoughts that we can stop and have just for a split second, they're acts of mercy. We're deciding that this person deserves some sort of punishment or retribution or consequences, and we say no. I am not going to give you what I think you deserve. Because the word mercy, if we take all of its meanings, if we roll it up into the complete meaning that Jesus prescribed to it, it means being concerned about people in their need, being sympathetic to them, and being compassionate. And how many of us would like a little compassion every once in a while? Maybe I can take a second and be concerned about the driver and what they might be going through, or the student. 
I can reach into my own experience and remember a day maybe not so long ago where I decided to cuss because I was having a bad day and I would want forgiveness. Jesus is calling us to mercy. He's calling us to sympathy. He's calling us to kindness. He's calling us to practice what we've already received from the Father. When Jesus calls on his disciples to be merciful, he's saying that we already know mercy. He's saying that we know we have the power to judge, but instead we're going to be merciful. He knows this. God knows that we have the power to be sympathetic or not. To act with compassion or not. This is the truth. And you know it to be true. You have that power. We all do. After Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, the very next thing that he says after he finishes the prayer, he says, forgive, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the forgivers for they will be forgiven. And I want to ask you something. Who do you need to forgive right now? Who should be receiving your mercy and not your judgment right now? God is merciful to us. We ought to be, we must be merciful to others. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that as you sit on your throne and judge us, you see our depth of sorrow. You see our poverty of spirit when we come before you and ask you for forgiveness. And you give it over and over again every single time you show mercy. Father, we need you to open our hearts and our minds. We need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can practice mercy so that we can use the power within us not to give others what we think they deserve but to give them kindness and compassion and mercy and grace and love father bring to mind those that we need to forgive Bring to mind those who have wronged us, who we've been 
holding a grudge against that we've been judging. And Father, show us how to be merciful. Show us how to forgive. We already know that we ought to be merciful. Pray that as we leave here today, in all of our relationships, in all of our encounters with every single person we meet for one second or for a lifetime that you would remind us through the Holy Spirit that when we are wronged, the person who wrongs us should get our mercy. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you go out today, my message for you is simple. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful to every person you encounter. God bless you this week.